Thank you for being a listener of the We Are LA Tech podcast. To support and collaborate with the community, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener. You'll have ad-free episodes and join us on our monthly Zoom calls with other podcast listeners and get to know the community at wearelatech.love. Linked in the show notes. The thing that I learned the most is, and I'm still trying to figure this out, you really need to know what you are and how that fits in with what the people that are funding you are looking for. I'm Alex Bloomberg, host of the podcast Startup, and you're listening to We Are LA Tech. We could not do this without the community believing in our vision together. We Are LA Tech is independently funded, funded by you, the community. So to support We Are LA Tech, go to patreon.com slash we are LA Tech. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash we are LA Tech. Welcome back to the We Are LA Tech podcast here in Santa Monica celebrating the incredible LA startups in this city. And I am so excited to have yet another completely delicious startup, Game Cake. Very Yum. delicious. <laughs> Yum. I wish you made cake, but we don't. <laughs> that was like the first question we get. Like one of my cleaners, like somebody that cleaned an apartment or a friend of mine was like, yeah. Your friend, does he, is he a baker? I saw a cake in his apartment when I was there. I was like, that's, that's not what we do. But I think maybe we should. <laughs> so, Sean, tell us who you are and what you do. Uh, yeah. So, um, which one first? Your name. Sure. What's so, it? I'm Ishan. Um, I'm one of the two co-founders of Game Cake. Um, by trade, I'm a game developer and a game designer, um, sort of turned founder. So, so background-wise, um, I got a degree in computer science and games at uh, USC. And uh, out of college, I went to Disney Interactive to go build mobile games there. Um, started as an intern and then worked my way up to sort of lead designing a few projects. Um, and then saw an opportunity in the market, left and started a company, which was Game Cake, with my co-founder, whose name is Ben Beharrier. Cool. And you, so you met your co-founder at USC? I did. Um, we were actually uh, both interns at a now defunct gaming company called THQ in Agoura Hills. So we both commute about an hour and a half each way Insane. twice a week. We were like, we want jobs in the industry. <laughs> um, and also like the story about how I met him is really weird where uh, they wanted me to stay on for a little bit more. And I was like, yeah, but, and I was doing like creative management stuff there. So I was just looking at games and giving feedback. And I was like, I kind of want to work on games. Yeah. So they were like, and I was like, I want to do it with a, with a, a partner, like another intern. And they're like, okay, fine. But you have to like find them. And so they stuck a stack of resumes on my desk and I picked out Ben's and that's and then we worked together at THQ and then we partnered on a game at USC and then Disney was interested in that game. And then, you know, I went to go work for Disney. He went to go work for someone, someone else. And then, um, sort of we came back together a few years later for but like along the way, he became one of my best friends. Yeah. Um, to the point where like I had already worked with him before. I knew what an awesome partner he was going to be. I actually like did not want to leave LA even though I was interested in living in other cities because I thought there was a really good chance we'd start a company together and he would be like the best partner ever. Yeah. And I think that's at a startup's core, like the founding team has to be ultra solid. And if they're not like you're building on shaky ground. And Completely. so I was like, that's, that's so important to me. Um, and so, yeah, like we met a while ago and, and have a history of working together and being friends as well. And then this sort of like opportunity aligned when we were both sort of ready to leave our jobs and do this. Nice. Yeah. And so, and, how long have you had Game Cake? Uh, so we started it in uh, officially incorporated late 2015, early 2016. 
Um, we've raised two rounds of funding since then. What? Sort of going on our third. Dude, Thank you. That's a really big deal. Yeah, it was great. It was a lot of effort. And yeah. fundraising is still one of the worst experiences ever, but it's necessary um, and until it's not, right? Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, so we, we launched our first game uh, this February. And I should probably just say what it is. GameCake is, a, is the first connected TV gaming company. Um, so we build content and technology um, and eventually publishing services for this like connected TV gaming market that hasn't materialized yet. And the, one of the reasons it hasn't materialized is because people are making the wrong kind of content for it. So when I say connected TV, I mean, you know, Apple TVs, Roku's, Chromecasts, smart TVs, all these things that honestly, there are like a billion of literally, right? Like I yeah. mean, everyone's got like two or three of these things in their homes and we know that gaming works on television. It's not yeah. like gaming start on phones. They started right. on TVs. Right. So the question we asked ourselves was like, why is nobody using these super easy to use, cheap devices that are highly capable that are already in their homes? Why are they not using those for gaming? Right. And it was an interesting story as to why that wasn't the case. But the TLDR of like what we do is we build content that feels native to connected TV. Um, and I can Amazing. go into more about that approach and everything if you want. But. Yeah, do it. No, do it. I, I just... Yes, continue. Yeah, well, so I was going to say that, like, sort of, um, I guess I should, not everyone's going to be super well-versed in gaming, so um, maybe a good place to start is that uh, the gaming industry as a whole is significantly smaller than Hollywood, and yet, what, like, five, ten years ago, we surpassed, and not by a little amount, like, dramatically surpassed revenues of Hollywood, right? So we're a bigger, gaming is a bigger business than movies and TV and all that kind of stuff combined. Hi guys, Ishan here with a correction. I recently discovered that this is a common misconception. If you look online, you'll find tons of articles claiming games are bigger than film. And it's true that pure box office sales are about half that of video game sales, but that's not a fair comparison. If you factor in TV, video, streaming, merchandising, rebroadcasting, and all the other revenue streams that the film industry has built, it's massive, and the gaming industry hasn't surpassed it yet. Now, to gaming's credit, it's growing fast, and I predict it'll overtake film in the future. I mean, the biggest media franchise of all time is Pokemon, and GTA V has made the most money of any single entertainment product. But we have a ways to go yet before we top film. Just wanted to correct the record and keep it accurate. Thanks. So there's a lot of revenue opportunity there, um, and that revenue comes in on all kinds of platforms like mobile and console and PC and, you know, not that much in VR, but eventually. Right. Um, and the one place it wasn't coming in on were these casual, ubiquitous TV devices. And we're like, what the heck? Like, why not? Like, there's so many of them. Right. Um, and people not, they're easy to use as well, and they're capable. So um, when we looked into it, uh, we discovered that basically the gaming industry has this pattern of wanting to move to new platforms, but not wanting to do so without bringing their existing brands alongside them, right? When you find success with a brand or a game or an IP, you want to stick to that, right? And oftentimes game mechanics comes with that. So it's not just characters and story, it's game mechanics and how the game works. Um, the problem is that all of these platforms are extremely different, right? Mm -hmm. So TV is different than mobile, is different than VR, is different than arcades, is different than whatever else other places you can play games. Um, and so what the gaming industry did when all these devices came out, they were like, oh, cool. These are so similar on the technology side to an iOS device, right? Like the Apple TV operating system is just a, a 
a slightly modified version of the iOS operating system. So they're like, okay, cool. We'll just like really easily and cheaply take our existing games and move them over to connected TV and it'll be great and we'll unlock a new market and it'll be awesome. And when it didn't work, because obviously it didn't work, um, they were like, oh, okay, well, the platform's not ready yet. But that's not the truth. Like the platform is great. The devices are great and highly usable. The problem was they weren't making the right kind of content and they didn't power it with the right kind of technology. Um, I'll give you an example, right? So I have a theory or a thesis that a game, people always play a game where it is the best version of itself. So um, basically, if you think about a game like Crossy Road or Angry Birds, right? Those games were meant for mobile. They are the best versions of themselves on mobile. Um, and that's not true on TV, right? TV is a fundamentally different place to be. Um, even board games, right? Like people thought it was going to be a slam dunk to bring games like Monopoly and whatnot over to the TV because it's this big shared screen and you can play in your living room and that's the dream, right? But even Monopoly, if you think about it, what's the best version of Monopoly? It's the one where I have cash in my hand, I'm rolling dice and I'm throwing properties in my friend's face, right? But if you put it on TV, you take all that away. So Monopoly is also not the best version of itself on TV. And when you compare the two platforms, you can see why this is the case, right? A phone is a fundamentally like a small screen, single user, short session length device. It's a very specific kind of device that has a very specific behavior associated with it. A TV, on the other hand, is almost exactly the opposite. It's a large screen, multi-user, long session length device. And when you put it that way, of course you can't take a game from mobile and put it on TV, right? It feels obvious then. Um, apparently it wasn't that obvious to the game industry because they didn't do that. And part of the reason they didn't do that is because they didn't want to create new stuff. They wanted to bring their existing stuff so they could guarantee that they're, you know, they'd be in the black on their P&Ls next year. Um, so oddly, as a startup, we can actually take that bigger risk um, because there's no like SVP of whatever saying that, hey, we've got to like make this much profit next right. year. Um, so that meant that we started creating games and designing games that would be the best versions of themselves on connected TV. And part of that design and content approach was also, oh, in order to make this vision a reality, we also need to build some technology that is going to enable that reality to be true. Um, for example, all of our games are controlled by the phone. Why? Because the control mechanisms and again, for the gaming, the non-gaming crowd, input and how somebody interacts with the game is so critical, right? Mm -hmm. Because um, like that's the whole way that you are participating in that, in that experience, right? right. So um, if you don't get the input right and the control right, you're done. Um, and so it was super important that we made the input easy um, and none of the connected TV devices have good control mechanisms. Like the Apple TV remote, not great for gaming, right? Um, none of the other ones are either. But the one that is the best is the one that's already in your pocket, that you already know how to use, that you're not intimidated by, that you have one for every single person in the room, and that you can use a, another screen for. Holy shit. So that's like <laughs> the best controller you can possibly yeah. imagine. Um, and so we were like, okay, cool. We need to build technology that allows us to that allows a user to connect a phone to a TV device, regardless of whatever TV device it is, because you could have any number of the devices yeah, that yeah. I named, um, and do it seamlessly and do it like easily and frictionlessly, right? And then there's other parts of the content approach as well, like making sure that you support long session lengths, right? Making sure that you use the fact that it's a multi-user device. So all the games we make right now are party games, or you can call them local multiplayer games or whatever, but they're basically games you play in person with other people, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and the weird part is that we say we're a connected TV company, but that's not all we are because like I just gave you a bunch of market stats and a bunch of like really sort of like uh, 
I don't know how to put it, like very logical ways of thinking about like what we should be doing as a company. But there's also the other side of things as well. And actually where we started. Right. Um, which is that we just want to build games that bring people together. Like there's yeah. not enough of that. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And the living room is such a great place to bring people together. They already play board games there. That's cool, right? Where is the digital experience? Why are there only three of them, right? Like there's like Just Dance, Heads Up, and Jackbox, yeah. and that's all I can think of. Right. Um, and so there's this huge um, dearth of experiences that bring us together as humans using gaming. And yet we find ways to do it anyway, right? Like yeah. we're in a car, we're going to be playing road trip games. We're in a living room, we're going to start playing cards or a board game. Like we yeah. want that experience of playing together, and that's what we need as human beings, and there's not enough of that especially not for families. So, you know, another way to look at Game Cake is that we build family-friendly games that you can play together in person and that bring that real meaningful human connection to you. Aww. So, you know what I mean? Like, it's sort of... You know that speaks to me. Yeah, well, there's sort of like <laughs> that, like, are we a connected TV company or are we a family party game company? And like, the, the connected honest answer TV is sounds cooler, but the yeah. other one resonates with me emotionally. Yeah, exactly. And that's why I sort of meant like, there are, there are two sides of the company in that way. And then, actually, I would say that that's been a a little bit of a struggle in terms of how to sell the company, right? It's like, which one are we? Yeah. Um, and ultimately, I think it's just, it's it's a little early to decide. Yeah. You know what I mean? How much money did you guys raise? So we raised a 210K angel round from um, some luminaries in the gaming space. So Klaus Kirsting, who started Gameforge, Alex Seropian, who created Halo at Bungie. Um, he just sold his company, by the way. So congrats to you, Alex. Mm -hmm. Um and uh, and some other folks. And then the second round we raised uh, was actually led by Comcast Ventures. So Comcast being a company that obviously sees what a threat connected TV is to their core business of cable boxes and wants to compete in that space and invest mm. in the future. So they're actually being really forward thinking. Um, we were Comcast Ventures first gaming investment, which is pretty cool. And um, and so Comcast Ventures led that round and it was a a 680k round that we did. Nice. That was our that was our pre-seed. Congratulations! I, I call pre Thank you. Um, and that was the rest of it. So 500 was was Comcast. The rest of it was filled out by other gaming luminaries. So like the guys that did Words with Friends are investors as well. Paul and David Bettner, and they've been really great. Um, so yeah, just That's a, awesome. two rounds. My, my investors for my sports company was the same thing. They sold. Um, they sold action sports films, mm -hmm. um, and it was all physical. And I had an action sports tech company. And uh, so at the time, they were like, we want to be in the digital space and investing in your company is the easiest way yeah, to make absolutely. that happen. I think it's something to really think about um, when you're building a company and you're looking to raise money is who needs you, not who do you need, like absolutely. who needs you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. How can we be the most helpful that we can be? Absolutely. And so legit you're helping comcast be the best that they can be yeah just wild yeah because you think they have everything they need yeah but there's very specific pain points where they don't have it unlocked yet no matter how big they are right, right. yeah and uh, so what are some of the challenges that you've overcome successfully in growing game cake so i think we ran into a lot of the same challenges that other founders might run into um just because we were first-time founders and we hadn't done it before right so um Hiring was a challenge because we kept running into this mistake of hiring really junior people to yeah. do things that were very mission critical for the company yeah. without, I mean, even if we did the vetting, right? Like it doesn't matter because a junior level person is never going to be able to be as efficient, right? Or as, um, deliver as many results or as high quality as someone who's more experienced. And 
it's very tempting as a founder to want to say like, cool, we can just hire a couple of interns and get it done cheaply. But the truth is that like we did that once. And yeah. um, those those guys were actually great. Like they had a lot of potential. We we were thorough in our hiring process and our vetting process, but um, they were still growing and learning as developers or as, you know, whatever other roles yeah. they were in. And we needed as a startup, it's it's weird. A bigger company can invest in younger people because they can invest in the time it takes to grow them to a, a, a point where they are delivering strong value on the money that you're paying them. Mm. That's not true of a startup, right? You need somebody to come in and kick ass immediately. Um, and as much as we would love to nurture those people's growth, we just couldn't do that um, as much as we wanted to. And we kept wanting to because we were like, we wanted to like cultivate these t- people and cultivate talent and all this stuff and realize like we just can't be doing that. Um, Because every time we did, it would cost us. And then we'd have to like redo work or spend a lot of time on overhead and management or these are things that like are not specific to a gaming company at all. um, And just stuff that we ran into as as first time founders. I think um, we sort of learned a lot in terms of how to hire. And and that's not to say we don't make that mistake again and again, but, you know, we're getting better at it. Um, I think the other challenge we had to overcome was the fact that. Ben and myself are developers first, right? I mean, I've picked up all of the fundraising and the BD and the networks. I've picked up all of that because I've had to, but my core competency is still in product. It's still in game design and programming and thinking about what the user is doing. And so is his, Um, which means that we don't have a voice um, telling us, hey, like you've got to ship things. You've got to like hit deadlines. Yeah. Like it's never going to be perfect. Just put it out there. Um, and we also didn't have a, as much of a voice. We had a little bit of a voice on like the, hey, think about the business more side. And we've got grown a lot in that respect. So the two things that mitigated that for us were one, we built pretty early. I think this is a good decision. We built an advisory board that was specifically designed to fill out all the roles that we were not. Right. Mm-hmm. So like, I have a BD advisor and I have like a live ops advisor and I have a production advisor and all this kind of stuff. We don't have a game design advisor because that's our core competency. We don't have an engineering advisor because we're also good at that. Um, but like, you know, I got to go find a marketing advisor soon and stuff like that. Right. So that was one thing that was useful. That also came with its own challenges because then when you're getting advice from like six different people, how do you decide what to do? That was a big pain point for a while before we learned how to trust our own gut instincts. Um, and then like the second, the other side of that, which is like, telling us, hey, you need to ship, hey, you need to like launch something, hey, you just get it out there, don't be perfectionist about your creative work. Um, we hired a, a head of operations who also became our producer and the way she thinks and what her role is uh, at the company is specifically to sit across from us on the other side of the table and tell us, hey, reality check, right? Like you gotta, you gotta draw a line in the sand yeah. somewhere or this project is like running this much over budget and so, and so that's been ultra helpful as well because it gives us a perspective that we don't have as the people we are right now. How did you, you said you learn, eventually you learned how to, you know, really hear your gut check. How do you learn that? Oh, you, <laughs> you fuck it up a lot. <laughs> right? Actually, what it is, is that um, the experience that I was going through with the advisors was that um, I wasn't able to silo them in a way that I should have, right? Like ultimately you have the most information about your business. Um, And there definitely is more information out there that you don't have, but nobody can bring it together like you can, right? Um, And so these advisors all have core competencies in different areas or multiple areas. Many of them are like very 
um, multifaceted and like they've touched a lot of industries, but they still don't have all the, the pieces like you do. Um, and so the way that I've found is most useful to interact with them is to say that, okay, you're my BD advisor or you're my this advisor. And so I'm going to talk to you about those issues specifically. Um, and anything to do with like the high level company direction yeah. should most likely come from us. Um, the problem is like when you do have those like five or six or eight or whatever pieces of information flying at you and they're all saying different things, you get into paralysis because you're like, you, you want to make the best decision possible as a founder. And yet there are people telling you polar opposite things yeah. and now you don't know what to think. Yeah. Right? And so if you don't. So classic. I yeah. know. And if you don't learn how to just say, all right, my gut is telling me this for a reason and I've got to trust it. You will never make a decision or you will make a decision that you will psychoanalyze or overanalyze later as opposed to just being like, listen, I made the best decision I could with the facts I had at the time. And we, by the way, do this constantly where we're like, oh, my God, that was a totally wrong decision. <laughs> but you only know that because you have new information yeah. a month later. Yeah. You know, so it's easy to go back and look at yourself and be like, oh, my God, I'm so stupid. But you were making the best decision you could at the time. And that's sort of the best you can do. What tips can you give us on fundraising? I mean, you said it's not a fun process, like for everybody listening right now that's looking to raise themselves. Like, yeah. what are like the top three things that you didn't know that you wish you knew? Yeah, I've heard a lot of people talk about fundraising in ancillary ways. Yeah. And I actually personally try and avoid it because I get a little sick of like the, okay, so you've got to have your elevator pitch exactly like 30 seconds. Yeah. They, they, they prescribe all these ways of doing things when in yeah. reality the world is what it is and you've just got to figure your way out. And everybody's different and receives You could say one thing to one person, they're going to be stoked and the same thing to someone else and they're going to be like, that's yeah. the worst thing yeah. ever. Yeah. So I guess, sorry, my point was just that like, I wouldn't give any advice on how to pitch because I think that's very individual and very specific to the people you're pitching. The thing that I learned the most is, um, and I think I'm still trying to figure this out, but like, you really need to know like what you are and how that fits in with what the people that are funding you mm -hmm. are looking for. Right. I agree. And like, I'll give you an example of us. We're like, I think a really good example of this where we are a, first of all, VCs just don't like gaming in general. I think LA VCs more so than uh, SF VCs, but in general, right. Venture capitalists are interested in technology platforms. Most game companies are not technology platforms. They are content companies. Mm -hmm. So we're a content company, right? And we have a technology piece to it that's very critical. Yeah. But it's hard to get around the fact that we're a content company. VCs are generally very scared of content. Um, and people, it's not like people didn't tell us this. They did. And I just didn't listen. And I went to go do it anyway. Yeah. Um, man, I'm going to like run myself into circles on this one. But let me just finish the thought, which is that um, we like VCs also hate things that aren't proven yet. Right. Um, and uh, don't like it when you're in a market that doesn't exist yet or whatever. So we were a gaming company that was in a new market that hadn't launched yet. Yeah. We we're literally possibly one of the hardest companies to fund. Yeah. And we had advisors that were telling us this is going to be impossible. How are you going to do this? And I mean, despite that, clearly I was bullheaded about it and went and raised two rounds anyway. But that doesn't mean it was easy or that doesn't mean it was the most efficient way to do it. Right. Yeah. Um, I think I didn't know enough about the business and about the market and about how things worked and how different like there's so much money in the world and like where that can come from is different and all that kind of stuff. Um, like I sort of just went ahead and did it. Yeah. And it, although it worked, it took me seven months to raise our last round. Yeah. That was a huge time sink, yeah. right? And it's so difficult. Um, and it's possible that if I had known more about yeah. how the market worked and how 
capital and funding and money moves around in yeah. the world at, holistically, yeah. that would have found a different way, a better way, a more efficient way to raise. Um, and I'm still figuring that out. So I don't have like a definitive answer on that, but yeah. I just sort of wanted to say what our struggle has been. Yeah. Um, which is another reason why like we are sort of fundraising right now, but we're going to hit the same problem. Even though we've launched a game and we've gotten some traction and this and that, we're still going to run into like 98% of VCs saying, you're a content company, go away. Um, and so now we're looking at like, okay, how can we be smarter about this, mm-hmm. right? Like how can we make sure we're getting money from the right places that are interested in content, that are interested in exactly what we're doing so we don't waste a bunch of time doing it the other way. With any amount of persistence, you can probably yeah. do whatever you want, which is what I did. Yeah. But that's not the most efficient way to do it. And I think that's all I was sort of yep. trying to figure out. Totally. And you're saying even though we have traction, what kind of traction do you have? So we launched a game in February that we felt was, you know, it was designed to be an experiment, right? It was designed to prove our thesis, right? The thesis being if you make the right kind of games for connected TV, a lot of people are going to be willing to play them there. Yeah. Um, So we launched Emoji Charades, which is our first game. It's designed to be very simple and easy to play. And um, the core concept of the game is that uh, you have one person on a phone that person is looks sees a trivia phrase that only they can see, so like Sleeping Beauty, and they have see a keyboard of emojis that they can work with. They type in emojis that describe that phrase. It's very easy to do. So you type in like Z's and the princess emoji. Those emoji appear on the TV screen, and you can have any number of people looking at the TV screen and just shouting out guesses until they get it right. The person scores it. You get a point all together, and you move on to the next one. And you just play for ninety seconds in a round, and then you go and pick a new category, and then right. a new category, and then a new category. So it's really simple to play. Um, it only requires one phone. Uh, it's free to play. It's like on the App Store on iOS right now, and you can you can find it wherever you want to. Um, but uh, what, the, what was interesting about the game is that again, it was designed to validate these very specific parts of our content approach and our thesis and this and that, and it's done that. So that's been really exciting, right? So first of all, um, it proved that thesis about the type of content you want to make, right? Um, you can play emoji charades between two phones. You don't need a TV. Mm-hmm. And we did that because we were sort of hedging our bets in case right? we were wrong about TV. Yeah. But the best place to play it is between a phone and a TV device because it's bigger and everyone can look at it. And it's easier to see, et cetera, right? Um, so you have the option of playing on a phone. But our users without us really telling them a huge amount, have opted to play on the TV in the majority. So mm-hmm. 60 to 70% of our players or our games played are on the TV device. And when you're talking about when people have an option between a device they haven't used for gaming and a device that they use for gaming frequently and are, and are used to, and still choosing the better experience, to me, that's really strong thesis proof, right? Um, the other thing we discovered was that engagement is really strong with these kinds of games. So our average session length is like 36 minutes. And on Mm -hmm. the higher end, it's between one and two hours when people Mm -hmm. really get into it and they just play round after round after round. Um, And that's really, really cool, right? Because that's very different from what you see on mobile where people play games from like one to five to 10 minutes, right? It's very different. Um, And so that's an an amazing opportunity by itself um, because you're getting casual gamers to play for that long, right? We're not talking about like Halo or console games or whatever, right? These are casual gamers playing for a long time. Uh, and we also learned that the marketing was actually really efficient as well. So, like, we did a bunch of paid marketing tests and learned that our CPIs were super low. And that's really exciting because, like, that means that you can get the they get the word out efficiently whenever we do end up raising a marketing budget. Cost per impression. Cost per install. Per install. Yes. Okay. Um, so, we do have traction. We have traction that points 
that basically like the most important thing that does, right, is that for us as a company, it tells us, yes, this direction is worth investing in more, right? It's not like we should pivot or do this or that. Like there are very good indicators that like people are really enjoying what we're doing. And the next game, which we need to raise money for, um, will have all of the learnings that we have from Emoji Charades. Plus it should have a bigger budget for um, the development of the game, but also marketing of the game, right? So mm-hmm. this game didn't have any marketing budget because it was designed to be a thesis experiment. Mm-hmm. The next game will be designed to make, make money and do all these things that um, Emoji Shows was not designed to do. Um, so we're really proud of the game that we built, and it proves a lot of things that we thought it would. Um, and now we're sort of doing two things, where one, taking this game that people have shown us they love to play and trying to turn it into additional revenue opportunities, um, and I can sort of talk about some of those partnerships. Yeah. Um, and then second is we are also trying to raise um, for what that next game is going to be. And so we're working on what that concept is and we'll start pitching that to investors soon and stuff like that. So so cool. Yeah. Investment community. Look out. We're coming at you with a game. So, yeah. Talk about what's next and how can we support you as a community to accelerate your success? Yeah. Well, I think one of the main things is that. Um, well, first of all, in terms of what's next, uh, for Emoji Charades, it is actually going to be expanding its support to more platforms, right? So we don't support Android yet. We want to add that. We want to make sure that our technology supports Android as well. Um, that includes Android TV and all that kind of stuff. Um, so more platforms is important. One of those platforms is really important, which is um, Comcast's X1 cable box. They're a unique partner for us. We're sort of like, you know, not exactly part of the Comcast family, but like very much tied into them. Um, and we have a unique opportunity to distribute our game onto Comcast's 20 million boxes or whatever. Um, and so we're excited to start earning money with them and, you know, help them basically turn their cable boxes into an interactive experience, right? Something else that families who are Comcast subscribers can, can do with each other. Um, and then, uh, for the new games, right? What we're doing is critically thinking about what emoji charades lacked, um, and making sure that all those things get baked into the next concept. So um, I can't really speak to what those concepts are because we haven't like sort of announced them or tell, well, you know sort of really talking about them publicly. But we're super excited about what they're gonna be. And um, I think in terms of what the community can can sort of think about is uh, if you guys know people that this story sounds compelling to, um, I'd love to talk to those people, right? Because I think the subset of people that are interested in gaming. Uh, is much smaller than the subset of people that are interested in tech in mm-hmm. general, which is perplexing to me because gaming makes a shit ton of money, but yeah. that's fine. Um, and so I'd love to talk to more of those people and they'll know investors, they know, they'll know they know really good advisors, they'll know a lot themselves. And, and you know, ideally, uh, I can find a way to add value for them as well. And I think that sort of ties it back to what totally. we were talking about earlier, right? Is like, it, it's much less about what the community can can do for us and more about, hey, Game Cake is... At, you know, with this podcast yeah. entering the WeRLA tech community, and how can how can we give to the community? I guess you know. I love that question. about you. Um, what LA tech talent or company have you come across who's really impressed you? You know, I, I'm not a huge believer in consumer VR. Yeah, but um, one of my college sweet mates or like roommates, yeah. um, James Iliff is the chief creative officer for Servios. Yeah. Um, and I think what I'm most impressed by is like they make good games, and that's really cool. I'm most impressed, though, by the fact that they were able to capitalize so intensely on the fervor surrounding VR um, and turn it into, like, a $50 million investment led by MGM or whatever. Like, 
Because what you need in VR, I think, is to last long enough for the market to materialize. And, um, and they were able to capitalize on it. very. And then VR investment dropped off a cliff. Um, so they were like right in that sweet spot. Now, how much of that was luck versus uh, intention? I don't know. Right. I'm not on the inside. But I just look at that. I'm like, wow, that's super cool. Um, now, raising a lot of money is very different than like generating a lot of revenue. And so that's, you know, obviously a different thing. Um, but I like, for example, we don't have that benefit, right? Like nobody is thinking about connected TV as like the next big exciting thing. They should be, but yeah. they're not. Everyone's into like esports or VR or this or that, like whatever the new hot investment word is at the right. time. Um, just because connected TV has been around for a while. Uh, and so, you know, I'm always sort of look at companies like that and I'm like, man, I'm jealous of like how how you were able to ride this wave of hotness that yeah. like, we don't have access to because it's not a wave of hotness. You know, it doesn't mean that the opportunity is not great. It's an amazing opportunity. Yeah. And it's sort of like it's this opportunity that people have stopped thinking about, which is where why you know we're doing what we're doing um but you know i think it would make fundraising a lot easier if we were one of those companies you know (laughs) where can people find out more about you online um so gamecakestudios.com um all of our social handles are also at gamecakestudios uh ironically gamecakestudios is not the actual company name it's just gamecake inc but uh gamecake was taken so you decided to tax studios F on those the people. Yeah, right. Oh my god, there's literally a guy who's like who wants to charge me ten thousand dollars to get gamecake.com. That's not that bad. Is it not? I don't want to pay it. That's ridiculous. No, that's a lot. <laughs> that's no, a lot. I have a similar situation. I think it might be more. I don't know, but it's still I think I think once the company does really well, that's like a drop on the bucket. It is. That's true. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Jason Freed, one of my favorite entrepreneurs, uh, co founder of Basecamp, used to be thirty seven signals. He didn't buy Basecamp or get anything. He's like, just get the company fucking making money. And yeah, then like you absolutely. could figure all the rest out. <laughs> like, I, I completely agree with yeah, that. Yeah. So like, I think they only got their own like at Basecamp Twitter like a couple of years ago. Like yeah. after like a decade of being in business. Wow, that's like, a long time. I hope you know? we get it before a decade expires. But yeah, <laughs> I, I, I agree with the sentiment 100%. Um, and how can people say hello to you and reach out to you? Uh, so I'm just at Ishan Mather on Twitter. So Can you spell it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, E-S-H-A-N-M-A-T-H-U-R. Um, and I think my co-founder is It's the Ben with underscores in between it. I don't know. You just search Benjamin Beharie or you can find him. Um, <laughs> can you spell his last name? Yeah. B-H-A-R-I-E-R. Oh my God. Cool. I hope I spelled that right. I think <laughs> um, and we'll include it in the show notes too, you guys. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you so much for thank hanging you. out with the We this Are Tech. Cool. So yeah. cool. And you obviously you wouldn't know this, but we were hanging out before we started recording. Such a good guy. Like really excited to um, get to know all things about you more. If you want to connect with more extraordinary people in the LA Tech community, remember you can go to the We Are LA Tech private Slack group at wearelatech.com slash VIP. That's wearelatech.com slash VIP. I will talk to you guys, hear you guys, see you guys in the next episode. Bye. And in the meantime, download Emoji Charades and play it. Plug. <laughs> yeah. No, do it. Check the show notes. It's we'll have free. it there too. Yeah. <laughs> Bye. We Are LA Tech is independently funded by the community. We couldn't make this happen without your support. If you too want to contribute to We Are LA Tech and see us making the podcast, building the mobile apps, creating the events year after year, consider contributing at patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash We Are LA Tech. Thank you. We appreciate you. 
Hi, this is Sean Mather, co-founder of GameCake. We're a gaming company based in downtown Los Angeles, and we bring people together through gaming in the living room. And you're listening to We Are LA Tech. Thank you for being a listener of the We Are LA Tech podcast. To support and collaborate with the community, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener at wearelatech.love. Linked in the show notes.